You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, the official podcast of FlashOfSteel.com and still the only strategy gaming podcast on the Internet. I am your host, Troy Goodfellow, and with me are two of my three usual panelists, freelance writer Julian Murdoch. Hello, hello, hello. And freelance writer Tom Chick. If anyone needs a coffee, let me know. I just pulled an awesome shot, so I am on fire today. If you want a good espresso... Maybe man. this is the problem: is that you're always pulling espresso, and I'm always pouring a little bit more gin. That's the time. That's the time zone problem, right there. <laughs> yes, Tom, shot pulling is en fuego. <laughs> uh, by the way, is it true, Troy? Are we really the only strategy gaming podcast? As far as I know, I have not heard of any or been pointed to any others. They're a board game. That seems like a lot of responsibility. Well, they're a board gaming podcast, and they sort well, of sure. There's some excellent board gaming podcasts. Maybe I should link to some at the bottom of the podcast post. Yes, um, like 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 Tom Vassell. Tom Vassell is a brilliant guy. I wish I could write like him. Yeah, well, but you'd have to move to Korea and become a missionary. Yeah, I can't do that. <laughs> you know, I, I just got a sense for how Bruce must feel when we're talking about computer games, because I had no idea what you guys were just talking about there. I was like, what? He's what like, he's the, he's the, he's the, he's I don't know who is he. He's the somebody really awesome of board games. Who, Bruce or Tom Vassell? Tom Vassell. Okay. Yeah, there's uh, another guy I like better. Um, what was his name? Uh, this is thrilling. This is thrilling. Can this right be our topic this week? Board games. Actually, you know yeah, what? It's kind of our topic every week. It's like our. <laughs> It's like our sideboard every week because we go to uh, board gaming reference. Ooh, did you just drop a magic oh, reference right there? We're like like ninety seconds in and we're talking about magic already. All right, I'm ready. Let's go. We got in board games. We got Magic the Gathering. Do we have a topic this week? Let's we do have a topic this week. I do want to say that Chris Farrell is the other board game guy. Uh, oh yeah, whose stuff I really like. Uh, but uh, tonight's topic is sort of brought out of uh, points we made the end of last week, where we talked about Master of Orion 3 and what a bust it was, and partly inspired by a user suggestion that we talk about franchises uh, that have gone off the rails. And he came up with a couple of suggestions, which are interesting. I wanted to expand it more to franchise health in general. What do you do to keep a franchise healthy? Um, where do franchises go wrong? What risks do you have to take as the industry evolves and the strategy gaming changes to keep uh, a franchise going? And um, there are a lot of places we can go with this, right? One yes, of the one of the things are. I wonder though is let's let's briefly uh, talk about now when we say keep a franchise healthy, are we just talking about making it sell a bazillion copies, or are we talking about and this is what I would prefer, <laughs> making sure that it has good games? Because uh, I don't I don't really have an, uh, much of an ear or an eye for like the business side of things. So I think to keep a franchise commercially successful is that even necessarily the same thing as to keep uh, the quality level of games in a franchise high well i i like to believe that you actually have to do both that if you make consistently crappy games eventually people stop giving you money to keep making games admitting that there are huge gaps in that like say anything based on a license right i mean do you think there's a chance there won't be a rash of harry potter games no it doesn't matter how much the last movies sucked but when you're talking about original property like masters of orion or something like that um i think if you do make an incredibly crappy game you pretty much kill the franchise 
Yeah, I would argue. So let me, I would argue. Go ahead, Troy. I would argue that in fact they are they are synonymous in many ways. That especially in, in franchise terms, you can have a successful a game can you know, depart from a franchise, be a critical and disaster as we're concerned, and be commercially successful. But in the long run. Uh, I think that depletes and diminishes from a franchise. Now, there are exceptions. There are times where you can take a franchise off in entirely new directions and make it almost unrecognizable. Uh, the shift from uh, the Warcraft RTS to the World of Warcraft MMO, for example, uh, where it's... Are they going to make another Warcraft RTS? I'm not even sure why they would bother. Uh, that's a franchise shift as because well. they could sell 90 billion copies of it. That's why. But 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 I get your point that that you know that's a case where they have so morphed the original intellectual property that it no longer looks like anything else. But I think if we get back to some of the core franchises that you know strategy gamers love, like Civilization, right? Um, there's one where we've seen some offshoots, right? Civ Revolution, um, Civ Revolutions, right? Mm-hmm. Do I have that right? Is it just um, one? Re- I always mess it up. I think it's just one revolution, isn't it? Or is are there it just multiple- revolution with a colon in the middle? No, it, I, I don't know. But I, I don't know how. But anyway, <laughs> well, clearly, I mean, clearly not like the next game in the series, rather a, a sort of branch off the mother tree. Sure. And in that case, I think that was, you know, I, I thought that was hugely successful. I didn't play a ton of it, but I played enough of it to feel like I didn't waste my money on it. Um, right. and, and it, it felt totally organic. It felt like a totally natural extension of the franchise. But in general, yeah, I think you want to talk about, you know, games, uh, games as games and not as business properties. Now, of course, there's going to be some commercial stuff coming in here. It's almost unavoidable. Um, especially if the marketplace decides you suck. If the marketplace decides you suck, uh, it doesn't mean you do, but if the marketplace and the critics say you suck, it means you made a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. Right. Let's talk briefly about the Civ franchise. Uh, so, Julian, the funny thing is I, I was sort of thinking, yeah, what have they done with Civ? Uh, and I completely spaced on Revolution or Revolutions, however many there are there, because I, in a way I don't even think of them as the same game. And that was completely an oversight on my part. Uh, I totally agree with you. They're, they're a great way to sort of broaden the appeal of the franchise, sort of split off from the mothership, as you put it, uh, without sacrificing what makes it great. I think that's an that's – a best case scenario of how to keep a franchise healthy. Uh, it's well, sort of and, appealing and I, to a new crowd without sacrificing your core values. Right. I mean, the the interesting question will be, you know, Civ Four is pretty long in the tooth right now. I mean, the original is 2005, right? So, I mean, that that's you know forever ago in gamerland. Um, and the last revision of it was Beyond the Sword, right? And that was two years ago. Is that right? 2007. Wow, I think so. It's been that long. Sounds about right. I think I think it's about 2007. So, um, you know, and now that was a case where, you know, I feel like they dodged a bullet on Civ 4 because Civ 4, awesome game. Civ 4 Warlords didn't really do it for me. And then Civ 4 Beyond the Sword, I was 100 percent there. And so, I I mean, I don't think Civ 4 Warlords was bad, but um, I think Civ 4 Beyond the Sword was fabulous. And so, I mean, I think that is a risk, which is you kind of always need to be upping the ante, don't you? One of, I agree, yeah. I mean, well, yeah, Warlords Warlords was kind of underwhelming as far as, like, new content, and they definitely uh, met, I mean, they, they definitely rose to the occasion in Beyond the Sword. But I actually have problems with Beyond the Sword, and actually, that's what I listed. So I, I made a list of some of the problems and some of the best ways to keep a franchise healthy. And under uh, problems, uh, I have Beyond the Sword for a particular reason. 
Beyond the Sword suffered from something that I think can hurt a franchise, and that is when uh, the sort of, uh, I don't want to say visionary, but you know what, I'm going to. That is when the visionary behind a game has sort of left the game, has moved on. Uh, Soren Johnson, who was responsible for a lot of the amazing things that they did with Civilization IV, uh, he changed that game in a way that it hadn't been touched since the since Sid Meier originally came up with it. Uh, he was gone. So what we had was a group of other developers making Beyond the Sword, and they, I feel, compromised a, a lot of what made Civilization IV great when they put in one little new feature, which drives me crazy. Espionage. What? Espionage, exactly. right? Espionage in Civilization IV does not belong. It doesn't fit in with the flow of the game, with the game's mandate on everything being sort of clear, simple, discrete values. Uh, it doesn't fit in with the interface. It doesn't really even fit in with uh, just sort of, the, like I said, the gameplay flow. So that's a problem, I think, when somebody who is this kind of visionary behind what you're doing with a game, when that person is gone and you leave it to other people, they end up coming up with something like like espionage. Yeah, uh, I mean, so, I, I I get that, and I think that I mean, I think my problem with espionage is it kind of it kind of took the diplomatic victory out of the equation because it made it sort of random. And I haven't played Beyond the Sword in a while, but um, my my recollection is that the whole introduction of spies could really screw up whether you were trying to even get a di- diplomatic victory. I mean, it just sort of. But I was never somebody pursuing that as a as a solo player. It wasn't something I was often pursuing, so it didn't have that big an impact. I was going to say, you know, the 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 presence of sort of multiple new voices in Beyond the Sword, I think, really comes out. Um, in all the new scenarios that they came out with, you know, the, the sort of afterworld scenarios and, um, the, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the tremendous variety of gameplay modes that they put in, in Beyond the Sword, which I think is a, it is, it is a pro in the con. I think it does seem a little bit scattershot, but man, I really enjoyed a lot of those. So I felt like it was a tremendous deal for me as a gamer. That was also though part of that's been part of Civilization Four all along in, in terms of how it's been moddable, and a lot of those things that were put in Beyond the Sword were already available uh, as mods that you could download. Like I'm sure. thinking of uh, Rise and Fall. Certainly, uh, uh, oh well, Fall from Heaven wasn't in there, was it? It was just it was a, Fall from Heaven so, Age yeah. of Ice. It's a, Age of Ice was in there. sort of a mutant Fall from Heaven. It's like a teaser trailer, right? Um, but that, by the way, you're right, Julian. On the balance of things, Beyond the Sword is a great way to keep a franchise healthy with the, just the great amount of content in that. But I also right. just thought the espionage was was one of the pitfalls for for what happens. And yeah, I didn't have a problem so much. It seemed uh, under-tested. And, and, and even even Look above and beyond it. that, it just seemed poorly implemented. Like just having to keep track of these numbers that would creep up in increments of, you know, 10s and 20s, and eventually you've got 3,000 espionage points. I mean... It really was kind of clamped onto the side with no elegance, uh, I thought. And the funny thing is they've since kind of conceded, okay, some of you don't like this. And I think you can, you, there's a setting now where you can disable it. Oh, you can just turn it off. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, it's like and, a game. And that, does, and that makes it worse. Yes, yep. What it basically does is all of the gameplay, like, like espionage is part of the resource model, and all of that part of the resource model just gets shunted into culture, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Uh, oh, weird. So, yeah, it's very so weird. So all, all the various things you could have taken to advance your espionage now just sort of double up in culture? Pretty yeah. much, yep. Huh. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm sure that there's something broken in there somebody's taking advantage of. 
I, I don't know. Yeah, like I, I'm not a, a enough of a power player to know how it how it shakes out the whole balance thing. But so the funny thing is, they just released. Uh, and God bless them at Firaxis. I mean, they they just kind of stealth out a new patch. They, they did this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and I just had a great time just loading it up and just starting to play again. And, and even the espionage, I wasn't minding so much at first. Uh, but God, what, what an amazing game that is. So Civilization Four. I mean, I, I can sit here and bitch about espionage all day. But that's, that's a healthy franchise. I mean, yeah. as a matter of fact... Is there any franchise? How old is Civilization One? Troy, you you're the official historian of Civilization. 1991. 1991. Wow. So, yeah, is there any franchise so that's 18 years? Did I just screw up my math? Yeah, that's 18 years old. That, that's 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 lasted. That's been this good for this long. I don't With, think there has been fewer missteps. I mean, it's hard to think of. Yeah. There are a million I mean, there are ways. Lots of there's lots of video game franchises, but strategy game franchises. Yeah, I'm having a hard time coming up with anything older than that. Actually, well, that so there's a question: Is there any other video game franchise that's lasted? Oh yeah, that I mean that's you're like that Final way. Fantasy V in 1991. Oh well, you know what? Don't bring Japanese games into this. Well, I mean, you just asked a question. I'm just giving <laughs> but, it, but, is it, but is Final Fantasy still healthy? <laughs> Actually, that's a good point. Yeah, like. I, don't, I will never has know. Has that ever jumped a shark? I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I've lost that. That game lost me before it hit. You know, before, when it got a digit, it lost me. So I, <laughs> I don't really know when that was going from there. But I mean, but like you know, Zelda was pre then. Oh too, yeah. And, I mean, there's I there's plenty of like, but but I think there's a big difference between the kind of real sort of genetic material that has carried over from Civ game to Civ game. And the let's just keep the IP that we call Zelda and make a new game based on it, right? I mean, that, I think there's a very big difference there. Right. Yeah, but I was just looking to make sure some superlative into... declaration about strategy gaming having the the longest lasting quality franchise of of any genre, but I, I don't I don't guess I can really say that, can I? Well, you can say it. I mean, it might not be because <laughs> it could just be That's wrong, true. but they, you know, we enjoy that too. That gives us pleasure. <laughs> Uh, so here's another uh, example of how to keep a franchise healthy. Uh, there hasn't been a StarCraft game in, geez, how, uh, Troy, how long has that been? You're, I know you're not the official StarCraft historian. But, yeah. Uh, what, what, is that I, 90? I think that's six. Nice. I'm just going to guess. Am yeah. I even close? That sounds about right. Yeah, uh, probably close. So what they did is they recruited an entire nation to sort of sustain... <laughs> Their popularity. So if you can do that, that's a great way to keep a franchise healthy. You know, just get South Korea to float you for 10, 13 years. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, to, to, to not do anything with it, of course. I mean, could you even consider StarCraft a franchise? I mean, you're only coming after well, the second game. It will officially be when the second one comes out, and it did get an expansion pack. And, and actually, Troy, you know, it does have like a lot of like sort of third-party products and crap in Korea. You well, know, I mean, like if we're going to dig into RTS land, I mean, I, w I would actually say, and, and I'm not a huge fan of this, but isn't Command & Conquer really the, the big franchise there that's lasted the longest? I mean, how old's the first Command & Conquer? Nintendo 64? Oh, please, did you just... Are you positing that the first Command & Conquer was on the Nintendo 64? Oh, Julian. I just smacked my forehead. I don't know if you could hear that. Do you hear that? I'm, I'm looking now. <laughs> it's now, a PC now I'm Googling, game, Julian. Baby. How dare you? It's a PC game. <laughs> and he's, he's smacking his forehead because you're on the other side of the country. That, because otherwise he'd be smacking me. <laughs> well, 
that that's that's a good example though uh that's another one that i wanted to bring up is how is the franchise how is the health of the uh cnc franchise because it suffered a lot of for lack of a better word and i wish bruce was here because he would try to call me on this and then i would explain how it applies but uh-huh. the command and conquer franchise has suffered a lot of balkanization uh it's, it's been split up into all of these separate well, you sort have, of smaller packages. Well, you have sub-franchises. I mean, they, they are all like, really their own little universe. Yeah. Uh, right. Red Alert is clearly a different world, right? I mean, yeah. So. But it's a Command and Conquer, isn't it? Isn't it technically Command and Conquer, colon, Red Alert? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But they share, I mean, but they're, you know, basically what they are is they're stories told on the same engine, right? I mean, then that, I think that actually is some of the appeal to that series, which is that, they, they've let it just sort of camp up, right? I mean, and that's the reason people still like Red Alert is because it's so over the top. It's also, it's not stories told on the same engine, Julian, because if you, actually, probably no one remembers this. I certainly, uh, I mean, there's a, there was a shooter. There's a Command and Conquer-like shooter kind of thingy, Mabob. Uh, what was that thing called? Uh, but anyway, that, that was the direction they were taking it as well. Uh, but I get what you're saying. It's definitely sort of an RTS. It's, it's EA's RTS universe, sort of. Right. Um, And that one's been around for, you know, since the mid nineties. And, and I, you know, I wasn't a giant fan of, of, of CNC three or of, um, of the last red alert, but you know what? I bought them and I played them and they're both, you know, those games almost succeed despite their gameplay because I, in the last series, I think they really just sort of let the people who were doing their, the full motion video and the story stuff and, you know, hiring Michael Ironsides and all that stuff, just sort of let him go. And it was almost like watching an onion version of a real time strategy game. And it was, it was fun. It was just fun as, as like deep strategy games. No, I mean, it wasn't, it was not the be all end all, but they were just fun games. I did enjoy them. Well, they certainly have been true to that sort of core value of being, uh, and I'm making air quotes here, of being fun. Uh, I mean, they, they, uh, but, yeah, but I, I, so I'm not real happy though with the way that Red Alert turned out because I, I think it really, and I actually don't see a lot of, uh, continuity, like a lot of, I don't feel like Red Alert and Command and Conquer 3 are necessarily in different boxes. I didn't, from having played both of them, there doesn't seem to be much of, uh, you know, Troy, you called them sub-franchises, but they feel like part and partial of the same thing to me. Yeah, uh, well, that's that was sort of my point, that their stories told on the same engine, in a sense, right? right. I mean, they, they, there's really no difference between, the, you know, Red Alert 3 and uh, right. and Command and Tiberium Wars, whatever the hell the name of the last so Command and Conquer was. 3 and Red Alert 2, I believe. Isn't that the... No, wait. Is Red, Red Alert, Alert no, 3? No, no, Red Alert yeah. 3 was the last Red Alert. It was Command and Conquer three, Red Alert three. Well, well whatever it was, they were yeah, they basically seemed like the same game. They really right. did. Only one, the question, only one was good. To do the and voice one was bad. You know? Right, one was good and one was bad. And we've left poor generals behind. I really liked the generals universe. Yes. Uh, you know, I'm sorry to see that they've sort of abandoned that one. Uh, another similarly balkanized franchise, and Julian, I'd be curious about your take on this. Uh, the original Dawn of War. You're a Dawn of War player, right? Yeah, I am. Um, and and to me, the uh, Dawn of War two, I felt as a story engine, and for and Dawn of War for me has always been more about me, my love of that world because I am completely a Games Workshop whore. Um, 
Dawn of War 2, this last version, really struck home with me much more than the previous one. Well, I mean the original one, uh, the original Dawn of War. Dawn of War 2 I I have under a whole separate category that I would bring up. But I think the original Dawn of War – Why? Why? We're talking about franchises. Why why, why, Why is that in a separate bucket? I'm talking about uh, franchises that are sort of balkanized, like Command and Conquer. I feel that the first Dawn of War suffered a little bit of that with all the expansion packs, sort of splintering the player base uh, with varying yeah, levels see, of quality. See, I did participate in that. And they were I spread out amongst I, I, different developers. So I guess I would agree with you completely. God forbid. Please, just shoot me now. Um, because that that's exactly what it did to me, is that as soon as that thing went like expansion crazy, I stopped playing. Because I got right, what so, I wanted out of it. Um, and Dawn of War 2 has, was a much more cohesive, like solitary, confined experience for me that I really enjoyed. Um, but I don't think that that, but I mean, did I buy Dawn of War 2 because of Dawn of War? Absolutely. I mean, I bought it because it was part of the franchise. Okay. Uh, but was sort of what I was saying though is that the, the first one, one of the problems was that, uh, they, they had like even different developers. The very last one wasn't Relic. It was a completely separate developer that they sort of handed the, the reins over to. And that kind of hurt that, uh, that franchise, at least before Dawn of War 2. Uh, so that I think was another example like Command and Conquer of, uh, as opposed to like the focus that the civilization one has, that they sort of got spread a little far and wide. Uh, and I and maybe that's a maybe that's a function of trying to milk a particular unit for too long because I mean the the just like the last version of the last expansion to Dawn of War One was like was only like last year wasn't it I mean, it was it wasn't that long ago Soulstorm is that what that's what we're talking about right they were yeah. doing pretty much one a year uh, right and that was like four or five years after the first Dawn of War came out I mean that's a big gap to bridge. Which is great, though, I think, and uh, but it, it's the varying levels of quality that I didn't that, that I thought were kind of problematic. For instance, the was it Dark Crusade, the the one that added the uh, the neocons, uh, that was a, an amazing piece of work. And if the other what four, three, four expansions had been that good, uh, that would be the way to go to keep a franchise healthy is to do sure. one crackerjack bit of work like that every year. But the fact that the neocon expansion didn't come out for you know, three until like three years, three expansion packs after the, the original game. Uh, I think that's sort of like jerking around your audience base a little bit. That can, I think, hurt a franchise. Um, so I don't think it, I don't think it was neocons. I think no, they were the neocons. They were the evil, soulless ne- robots. Ne- the neocons. Ne- ne- necrons. <laughs> mm, no, you're putting an extra R in there that you don't need. <laughs> I'm totally sure that it's necrons. <laughs> mm, no, you better look that up on uh, on the Warhammer wiki. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I appreciate the gag though I do. <laughs> uh, the person for that the gag was really aimed at isn't here. That that Bryce fellow that normally joins know, us, he would have enjoyed that one. Uh, uh, so Dawn of War two though, however, I think they've definitely got the right idea. And, and to Relic's credit, they seem to sort of learn. I, I hope. What do you uh, think the right mistakes. idea is? They think there's the right idea. Mm-hmm. Yep. Do you think just going to? Do you think they're going to you know, take the campaign in new directions and then take it bit by bit like that so they introduce all the races? That's really seemed to be what was driving the Dawn of War 1 expansion. It was not just that the problem wasn't so – that they were varying in quality. It was just this rush to get all of this Dawn of War licensed material out there into the hand of the players. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and I think what, what they're sort of doing – and the lesson learned from other franchises and certainly the wave of the future – is 
just downloadable content. We put the game out and then we trickle out content for it. You know, like I think of like, did you guys know there's another Fallout 3 expansion this week? Like I, I haven't even yeah. finished. I haven't even looked at the second one yet. I mean, they're they are just they're they're doing such this amazing job of keeping the game relevant by constantly releasing what seems to be really good new content for it. Yeah. Uh, right, and, and and apparently in the right size chunks too. Right, exactly. I mean, it's, you know what, Julian, that are satisfying enough that they can be that they can be played and finished. Right. Yep. And I, and that that's really the trick. That's an excellent point, Julian. Is it's all about so it's all about the this perception of getting that 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 amount of content just right between you know what you could charge full price for for a sequel and what ends up being a rip off like the horse armor for for Oblivion. You know, there's <laughs> there's a wide gap in there, and you've just got to find just the right little spot. And Fallout Three seems to be doing wonderfully there. Uh, Troy, your favorite game of all time. Empire Total War just got 14 new units for sale for yeah, $3.50. I, yeah, yeah, I did. Did you see my, my blog post about it, how, what a terrible idea it was? I, yep. I, saw, and, your, I saw your tweet about it. Because <laughs> it's it, like a little tiny chunk that's not, you know, and you, it's not even that much money. It's almost like the principle of the thing at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I bought it because, you know, it's, I still play it from time to time. But, yeah, I mean, it's really an insult. Uh to be charging for you know it's the horse all, it's the horse armor of empire almost literally because you do get new horses <laughs> awesome and uh yeah i mean we were talking we talked about uh, empire total war in an early podcast i mean bruce i'm sorry tom said well, the D, when i complete there's too few historical battles tom said well that's what dlc is for and he was right that is what dlc is for and that's not what they're using it for and the funny thing is they still so I think here's another problem where, where player perception really uh, they're, they're, they're just so tenured about that. So they still apparently have AI problems that people are kvetching about. Uh, they still haven't put out uh, this co-op campaign, which I personally don't care about, but I know it's something that they were sort of promising, saying, yeah, we're going to so get you guys. It was that. a big bullet point. Uh, for yeah, them. yeah. And instead, they're trickling out, you know, 14 new little dudes, and you can pay $3.50 for them, which... It's not that expensive, but like I said before, it's the principle of the thing. It's, you know what? You guys are doing this. Why don't you fix the core game first? And and then once you've built up some goodwill in your player base, then, yeah, I'm happy to throw money at it. I, I think that's uh, that's sort of a crucial way uh, to keep a franchise healthy. Make sure everybody's happy and then nickel and dime them. Uh, right. I, I think that's the way to do and, it. And, and probably yeah. somewhere in the middle is the sort of micro expansion strategy of something like Sins of a Solar Empire, which, I mean, I think they're, <laughs> was it $15 was entrenchment? Was it, am I right on that? 10 or yeah. 10, maybe 10 so, or maybe 15, depending on how you decided you wanted to pay for it and whether you navigated the website right to get your $5 discount. Um, where clearly that wasn't a whole new game. I, and I don't think anybody would have suggested it was, but it was probably more than just DLC too. I mean, it was probably I think more that, no, than five dollars. Definitely more. I mean, they've they've confessed that you know what we screwed up. We got way too ambitious. We did way more than we meant to do, right. but we're going to stick to the price point that we announced earlier. Uh, well, so that, I, I, that I, is, they they probably couldn't have charged forty dollars for it because it didn't change the game that much. But it was sort of oh, like getting. No, I thought. I mean, you you play more sins than, than I do, Julian. So I should probably defer to you. But I thought they really changed. Didn't didn't they? Didn't it really sort of change up a lot of core gameplay elements? It changed 
Well, what the, the interesting thing is that when you look at how people now play the game, like the hardcore sins guys, the game is totally different. Like the core strategies all changed. However, when you look at what they did to the game, like the actual, like the addition of new units, the rules changes, those kinds of things, it is pretty incremental. They added a couple of new ships to a, you know, a, a fleet of 50 or 60. They added three or four new gameplay items like mines to, you know, maybe a, a realm of 50 or 60 of those. And they added one big new feature, which, which was star bases. So, right. But those, those I say thought, that, say that that's a the game fifty dollar, right? But 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 is I, I certainly that shouldn't be five dollar DLC. But by the same token, I don't think you would have gotten anybody paying for that label as Sins of a Solar Empire two. They would have felt right. Ripped but I off. think what we can agree on is that's an example. Total uh, Empire Total War with their fourteen new units for three fifty. That's an example of them sort of erring on the side of too little. But I think we would agree that Sins of a Solar Empire and uh, Entrenchment expansion was an example of them erring on the side of too much com- content. Uh, well, they it's, definitely hard for me to, it's hard for me as a consumer to complain about getting too much content. Oh, right, right. No, yeah, exactly. I don't object. I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm, of... I'm, a, I'm a Steam whore, right? I mean, I turn on Steam and I get six new expansions, 12 new maps, and two new classes for four different Valve games when I don't pay anything for it, right? So... That, you know, you've got people out there setting these examples of, hey, buy Left for Dead and you're just going to get free crap for a long time. And then all of a sudden people start charging you for it and that backfires. So I think the industry is still very much trying to figure out what that balance is. I think I agree with that. And, and, you know, $5 horse armor is definitely wrong. I'm not so sure that Sins was a $30 piece of content. And I don't think, I think that would have been a backfire for them. Mm, but I would easily go in 1999. So there you go. <laughs> I'll go your uh, so, 1750, and that's my final off. <laughs> so so back, it'll be interesting to see where Dawn of War 2 goes, though, because they, they've got a lot of goodwill. They're doing some good patchwork. One of the early complaints was there weren't enough maps, and I can't help but wonder if this is intentional. Since the game has been out, they have more than doubled the number of maps you can play. Uh, right. So it makes me wonder, like if the, the cynical, conspiracy-oriented side of me thinks – they had those maps ready when they released the game. They just sat on them just for to trickle them out. At least they had them testing. But relics the moved on. Relics now move, relics now working on uh, the the like third person action game for 40k. What do you mean? They, I'm sure they have multiple teams though. I mean, they've still got a Dawn of War two right, team. I'm sure there's some yeah, new yeah, campaign sure they in the do, works. But 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 I know that their next big. I I don't think that there's a giant expansion in the works. I I believe. I would bet you dollars to donuts there is. Uh, I would bet you dollars to donuts we have a new campaign. Some, there's a team at Relic working on a new campaign, and they're going to sell that. And people like you and me and the people on the internet who would normally whinge about it are going to gladly pay for it because yeah, sure, because they, they've kept their, their franchise yeah. very healthy. They've managed sort of player perception very well, and I think they've learned a lot from how sort of balkanized the first Dawn of War was. Uh, okay. Uh, so. I think this is fair. And then we'll play it online here. And uh, next time, I will beat you two in Dawn of War. Yeah. Actually, me and Julian will beat Troy and, and Bruce. God, so Troy, not if you're, yeah, I'll try. I'll try to show up next time. That's really not likely. So, um, so, oh my God, but, you're trash talking already. <laughs> so, to what extent do we define franchise as 
something as as linear as Dawn of War, Dawn of War 2, where you can say, okay, gameplay elements connect, story connects, etc., um, versus simply sort of overarching IP that that gamers love. Like Star Wars is the to me the the biggest example of that. Although to some extent, I think you can say Warcraft is also an example of that, where the the intellectual property has this huge umbrella that can cover all sorts of stuff. And there may be multiple developers and multiple different kinds of games going on underneath that umbrella. Uh, you know, do do you look at something like Star Wars and say, well, how healthy is Star Wars as a game franchise, or is that too big? Well, fortunately, since we're a strategy gaming podcast, we can ignore ninety <laughs> percent of the like stuff it. going on. At the, yeah, at the Star Wars franchise. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, poor Star Wars! Like that never got uh, really a great strategy game, did it? That's kind of sad. Well, it had a couple of guesses, right? Probably yeah, and uh, they they guesses. both were terribly flawed, like that horrible rebellion thing, right? The the Empire at War, which was I think as good as Star Wars strategy games get, wouldn't you guys say? Yeah, that I sounds probably right. true. And what was that one that was based on like that Heroes of the Galaxy board game concept where you flew heroes around? And I are you guys even? I have no idea. I'm no idea what the hell you're talking about. It was a big strategy game, and it was based on. There's a game called like Heroes of the Galaxy, a board game where you move around fleets and you move around heroes and you move to different planets and planets have planetary defenses. And if Bruce was here, he would go blah, 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 and he would know exactly what I was talking about, and it would be awesome. So, uh, But anyway, there was another Star Wars strategy game uh, that predated Empire at War. Uh, it even predated the, um, the, the Rebellion strategy game thing, and I can't think of the name of it. It had real-time space combat. You guys aren't remembering this? No. I mean, oh, the last right. one I can think of is, is I, as far as an actual strategy game, was the Petroglyph one. Oh, g- 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 Galactic Battlegrounds? Oh, there was that one, too, which was just the reskinning of uh, <laughs> of uh, Age of Empires. <laughs> that's right. That's what that was. But that's not the one I'm thinking of, you guys. Maybe it was Rebellion. So there was the Petroglyph one. That's Empire at War. There right. was the Liquid Entertainment one. I think it was Liquid, the folks that did Battle Realms. That's, right. uh, uh, then there was some like real-time strategy game thing with with a 3D space combat that I can't think of. Anyway, there will be a link to it at the bottom of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so I but, guess that uh, sort of so, answers the question anyway, there right yeah. there, doesn't it? Which is that that's a piece of intellectual property, which I don't think any of us are really associating any kind of franchise longevity to because it's all just disconnected shotgun blasts in the dark hoping a duck falls from the sky. <laughs> yeah, it's the same thing with the, the Lord of the, with the Lord of the Rings franchise. You got a couple of really good RTSs out of it, but you really can't speak of it as a strategy gaming franchise as much as sure. uh, an entertainment empire unto itself. Does right this mean now. we can talk about Lord of the Rings online? <laughs> I know you a whole podcast. Is there a strategy game in there? The problem is a strategy. Now. There's a tremendous amount of strategy in MMOs, but that's a whole topic for a whole another cat podcast, yeah. isn't it? It's looking for an excuse to talk about Lotro. As long as there are collectible card games and MMOs. Uh, there's a new expansion for the Star Wars. Oh, here we go. There's a tradable card game for Sony's Star Wars MMO that just got an expansion. So, Julian, get on that. You're our CCG dude. <laughs> yeah, you know, not that kind of CCG dude. I tend to stick to the roots, right? I mean, magic. Let's talk about let's talk about the franchises that never die, right? Magic so, the Gathering. Exactly. So, Julian, what do you think of this effort to sort of streamline the franchise and broaden its appeal? Like my initial take, and I'll be curious if you would agree with this, is that it seems like what they're doing with the 
uh, Duel of the Planeswalkers Xbox Live Arcade downloadable version of Magic the Gathering is similar to what Firaxis did with Civilization Revolution. Uh, or I, Revolutions I mean, that's, is sort of that's such core a great, values, streamlined gameplay to get a new audience. That's such a great example that I'm going to put you on hold for a minute while I go add that to the article I wrote last night about this because I should have put that in there. I mean, that's a, I think it's exactly what they've done. Um, and I think they've done it extraordinarily intentionally and I think they've done it extraordinarily well. I mean, I, you know, I would argue, um, and I have argued before that for better or for worse, magic is nearly by definition the most complex game ever made simply because when you look at the number of cards in the universe, right, you're talking about tens of thousands of cards that could potentially interact. I mean, that's ridiculous, right? The number of ways in which a particular random set of cards could interact. Now, that's not how the game really gets played, but I think it does, you know, it, it's it's a fault of Magic is that it's been around for so long that it seems to get more and more and more and more and more complex as they try to find more and more ways to sell you more cards. Um, and... I think that what they've done with Duels of the Planeswalkers is a great kind of reboot for a new generation. And I taught my nine-year-old daughter how to play Magic after she watched me play it on Xbox for 20 minutes. And it never would have occurred to me to try to teach my nine-year-old daughter how to play Magic because there's just too much going on. But you know what? When you actually really simplify it and really break it down into sort of some core card concepts, it's a really great game and it's not actually that complex. And so... I, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that this actually signals a real reboot for Wizards because God knows I think people have been putting the money in the death pool for Magic for years. And I think that's a, that's an approach that a lot of, uh, strategy franchises try to take. I think that's part of what happened with, uh, Red Alert 3 is they got this idea of let's just streamline it, make it simpler. You know, uh, and I think they totally screwed up. I don't, I don't think they did a good I job. I would actually at all. say that that's that's how I would that's what I would say about Dawn of War two. I mean, to me, the the beauty sure. of Dawn of okay. War two was you know fifteen minute missions, five units basically, right. um, no resources in a single player campaign at least. Um, you know, that was you can't get any more stripped than that and still call it a strategy game. And I know plenty of people who actually tried to say it wasn't a strategy game because they had stripped too much of that stuff from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about handing over a franchise to a new developer, like a new set of hands and eyes? Does does that ever backfire? Does that work well? Is that a good idea? I think it clearly backfires, and I think the best example. I mean, the probably the franchise that has had the worst luck uh, throughout its history, but just keeps going, is the Settlers franchise. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> uh, and, and to be clear, you're talking about the Settlers, uh, currently, I believe, owned by Ubisoft franchise, not Settlers of Catan. No, right? I'm talking about, you know, Settlers or Surf City, whatever stupid name it went by. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, Settlers 2 still is a very good uh, city builder, resource harvesting, real-time strategy and whatever. It stands out. But boy, whoever has that franchise now has completely botched it. And Who has it now? Oh, that's a good question. I think Ubisoft. I think they Ubisoft. Have rise of an Empire is the current... Uh, because it went through like a million different of. phases. It was a traditional RTS, and then it became a castle-building simulation. Uh, the Heritage of Kings, I guess, is the most recent one, isn't it? Or is it before that? One after that. 
I guess I haven't, I've always thought of settlers as, as sort of a cute little like citizen based resource chain city yeah. builder. And it was. Uh, and that's at its best. But then you get to the most recent ones and they're really terrible. Uh, it's straight, huh? So it, it was a matter of Rise, switching Rise developers? of an Empire. Rise of an Empire is the current one and it's Ubisoft. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, you know, a matter of, uh, I mean, it's uh, apparently, I mean, it's still Blue Bite, but it's been so many people coming and going and different pressures from different publishers, I think, that has led to uh, that franchise really losing its soul. I guess it's, I'm trying to think if it was originally, who originally published that? The First Settlers. Uh, let's see, Amiga, and it was called Surf City back then. That was the first one. Right. And Blue Byte self-published it, I recall. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, but then they were picked up by Ubisoft, and they've that series has gone through so much trouble. So is it dead? They they keep trying to kill it. Um, <laughs> well, or maybe not, but <laughs> they keep giving him more and more opportunities to die a valiant death on the battlefield. Yeah, um, there's a DS version, apparently, and I think it's probably more faithful uh, to the original series, because it, it's really a designed to be a remake of the original probably port, Settlers. Right? Probably a straight port. Uh, but Heritage of Kings, uh Wow. And Settler, but you can trace it all the way back to Settlers 3 and 4, mm-hmm. where I think they really lost it. I'm not sure what it was, but I think, actually, I, I do know what it was. It was, uh, they saw people making a lot of money in traditional RTSs. So mm-hmm. they got, they got pressure to turn the series into something it wasn't. Right. And I think Sims Online is an example of that. People mm-hmm. were making money in MMOs, so they tried to turn the Sims into something it wasn't. And I think that's when a fr- I mean, Sims at least recovered because, you know, they had tens of millions of people who didn't play Sims Online. Uh, but Settlers franchise is, for all intents and purposes, dead um, because of mismanagement, I would argue. How about, pub- because this has gone through different publishers, uh, how about the SimCity franchise? Yeah, yeah, which, that's an interesting one. I well, mean, the thing is, does, does societies count? Oh, come on, it's got to. Are you really going to argue? I mean, it, it's, no, I mean, it's, it's branded it, as a SimCity. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, well, they, but, but they argued that it wasn't part of the SimCity series. But it was, it was kind of disingenuous to say we're calling it a SimCity game, but it's not really a SimCity game. Um, I and I thought it was very good. I liked Societies. Once they patched in all the problems, there were problems on launch, but they fixed those uh, relatively quickly. Uh, the expansion wasn't much good, but um, it was never embraced by the SimCity community. Right. I mean, it had its own sort of – and that's an example, too, where a new developer brings a new perspective, and a lot of the fans may not really appreciate that perspective. It may not work for them. Uh, but I, I, I liked I, – I think personally, as if you look at franchise health as has it renewed my interest in the games, I thought that uh, they did an excellent job with SimCity Societies. Uh, it was so nice to see this, this whole new gameplay model. Uh, right. But they're not going to uh, make another one. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of it, isn't it? Hilton Mills I mean, done. I think one one interesting thing as we're thinking about franchises is the whole issue of sort of the long delayed port, right? I mean, because now that we have, you know, XBLA and PSN, and we have download services for the PSP and for the iPhone and for the DSi, you know, the opportunity for these old strategy games to resurface in in fairly easy to produce ports 
um, it sort of has this opportunity to create some real new life. I mean, the one that the one that got me today that launched was Archon, which was a great old game. That God, I think I played that on my Atari ST or something like that. What do you mean the like, one that got you today? Is there some new version of Archon? It launched today on the iPhone. There's a remake of Archon. Oh, oh launched iPhone. iPhone. Okay, let me know when it comes to a real platform. Um, <laughs> and uh, and it's brilliant. I mean, it's brilliant. It's like just updated enough to look better and play better. Um, but it is completely faithful to that original, you know, 1980s game. Um, which is sort of like, you know, chess with spells and guys running around and shooting each other. And it's great. Do you know, Jimmy, and Toys for Bob did the iPhone version or is it someone else? I have no idea who did the, I have absolutely no idea who did the iPhone version. I would have to Google and I wouldn't do that in the middle of a podcast because I'm a real gentleman. (laughs) Um, but it's this great sort of territory control chess variant thing. Oh, I think Um, everyone listening knows Archon. If if you don't know Archon and you're listening to this podcast, I'm very disappointed in you. Um, I uh, doubt that it's toys for Bob because I assume that Bob is doing something else. At this no, no, point. They, they're still around. They do. They Are tend they still to do around? like a lot of. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They do. They do like a lot of like the Madagascar game. I mean, they're around making money and being a healthy business. They're not necessarily making the great games for the people they used to make games for. But yeah, they're still around. It's uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I'd have Paul to Paul Reich and Fred Ford. Are those their names? Did I screw it up? I have an autograph. One of my prized possessions. If there was ever a fire in my house. You know, first thing, get the cat out. Second thing, uh, where is my autographed copy? Get the espresso maker out. Autographed copy. Espresso maker I could replace, but I could not replace my autographed copy of Unholy Wars for the uh, PlayStation One. So that's that's toys for Bob. Uh, And I got it signed when I went out to look at some terrible Madagascar game they were making. So I was just curious if maybe they had been responsible for revisiting Archon for the iPhone. Um, Uh, It's apparently been developed by React Games. Okay. Which means nothing to me. Not to so, but that's I... perfect then because that's another – that's the franchise. If Archon is a franchise, which I don't think we can make that case, but it's being passed on to another developer. Well, but if they make another 12 games out of it, it will be. But my, my point go. was not to just sit here and pimp Archon, which is awesome, but but to bring about bring up this, uh, this fact that there are all of these great old strategy games that could get – sort of new life and get some extension and rebuild their brands because we now have these sort of lower impact platforms to play them on where people don't have to pay $60 to buy a DVD and stick it in their console anymore. Right. Right. Uh, so, you know, how, how, how far out of bounds is it to talk about getting a great, you know, Warcraft remake done for XBLA? That seems like it would be totally doable. Right. Or, you know, uh, I mean, although I suppose to some extent we have spiritual successors like, I mean, I, in a way, I sort of think of things like Overlord as a spiritual successor only because of the sound design. But <laughs> you also need a mouse for all, all those things. Uh, are, are you going to do a, a mouse? No, don't need a mouse for those things. Haven't we learned anything about all of the various ports we've seen? We finally got RTS. Yes, teams. we we have learned that you cannot put still a PC RTS on a console system without a new. Yeah, we we have definitely learned that you need a mouse. <laughs> just just because you call it a whip select doesn't mean it will let you select anything. How's that that Stormrise franchise working out? By the way, oh god, <laughs> another one of Creative okay, Assembly's okay, biggest okay. mistakes. Okay. So the, the, when I was asking about like handing a franchise over to a new developer, I had a specific instance in mind. Uh, yeah, and as, as is my want, I'm just going to lay out a little teaser, and then I'm going to tell you what I'm talking about. This is a franchise that came out and that I admired 
but didn't ultimately care for. And as the franchise progressed, I liked it a little bit more, but it wasn't until it was handed to a completely different developer that they they did an expansion pack, and in the process, they also solved so many problems that I had with the franchise, with the way the game was created. And I felt like here was a franchise that once it was given... Once it was being worked on by new hands and being looked at by a new pair of eyes, you know, a new sort of design mandate was applied, they salvaged it for me. Uh, and Troy, do you do you have do you know what I'm talking about? Because I are think you, you and I have very similar perspective on this. Are you thinking of uh, Age of Empires, Asian Dynasties? Absolutely, yeah, big huge games, letting them get their hands on Age of Empires three. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so see, I, that, I always liked the Age of Empires games. That wasn't really a great revelation for them, but they didn't do it. That was an amazing expansion pack. Um, and I wonder what the health of that franchise, uh, because Microsoft's going to keep making them. And there was a patch recently for Age of Empires 3. Like, was there? Like, after Ensemble was closed, a patch came out. I was wondering, I, like, where did that come from? It's like a ghost patch or something. Uh and, and yeah, I can imagine Microsoft will. Well, I mean, to, to some extent, I would I would argue that that there you've almost got you're almost crossing a boundary because because to me, I did not actually think all that much of the Age of Empires series until Asian Dynasties, and and frankly, to me, that was just sort of like, oh, okay, these are the guys who did all the Rise of Nations games now making taking over this franchise and doing this one too, and I felt much more continuity with that, you know, thinking of. You know, Thrones of Patriots, Rise of Legends, Asian Dynasties than I did with my experience with the very first Age, Age of Empires, and I skipped the ones in between. Well, they, they evolved slowly. I mean, they were addressing some problems and sort of breaking it out of its sort of staid gameplay and getting a little crazy, but it wasn't until big, huge games showed up that, you know, it, it really let its hair down and started partying, as, as, as it were. Uh, so that that is an example of, you know what, sometimes for a franchise, it's like, you know what, it's like if you're going to make another Star Wars, then hand it over to a new director. Sometimes that's the best thing you can do. But isn't, that's kind of an odd case to make, though, because that was the, the, that's the last Age of Empires game. So what does that say with the health of the franchise? Well, the right, Microsoft big, huge sucks. games went... <laughs> yeah, yeah I, mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's... turned out to be a really great expansion. It was a good idea to let, you know, big, huge put their hands on it. But it really says... Nothing interesting about the health of the franchise, except that, you know, Ensemble was confident enough in the health that they would let somebody, that they would make sure Ryan Reynolds wouldn't break it. Well, to uh, me, it says a lot about the health in terms of, I mean, it, it, commercially, yeah, it's a weird instance because, you know, both studios involved have been, one is closed down, the other one almost died. Um, but But just from the perspective of what makes a good game, to me... It, it says a lot about the health of a franchise because, to me, it, uh, my, and my the cat disagrees. Disagrees. No, the cat agrees. He's totally saying yes, yes, yes. But to me, that's what that was the saving grace for Age of Empires three. Uh, you know, I didn't love it as much as I love it until uh, big, huge games had sort of had offered their own take on the work Ensemble had done. Uh, so, that's, well, what franchises now, strategy franchises, do you think are in trouble? Hmm, there's a good but question. But you've already said the civilization is pretty much rock solid. Um, I would argue the Total War series is probably in a little bit of trouble. Yep. Command uh, and Conquer. Uh, uh, Command and Conquer. Well, I don't know how much trouble. I don't know. How did they do? I, w- I, would, love, I would love to Command and Conquer to be in a lot of trouble because Red Alert 3 was, had so many things wrong with it. Um, 
uh, from compared to I mean it was it was fast like Command and Conquer three, but if they thought that was simplified, giving everything two different special powers, they were mad. And also, Troy, you could see, you know, they're clearly, and maybe this is a smart thing to do. I don't know. I didn't care for it, but they're clearly. Uh, appealing to people who like those cheesy full motion videos. Right. You know, they're spending money, yes. they're throwing money at, at B list celebrities and uh, making their goofy little movies and uh, they're selling but it on Are you that calling end. George Takai a B list celebrity? Is that what you're doing right there? Okay, okay, I'm sorry. Tim Curry. <laughs> Getting C-list. magazines from Eds and Maxim. Tim Curry, really? Tim Curry? You're going you're gonna to slag Tim Curry in this? Well, if an A list celebrity is Britney Spears, Ooh, then no, uh, Tim Curry is not. That, exactly. Thank you. That's that's where I'm going. <laughs> so, uh, so I think yeah, like I don't I don't have a lot of confidence in what EA is doing with the CNC franchise. Uh, and I know I didn't I haven't looked at it yet, but I think some details came out in uh, Game Informer or whatnot about CNC four. Isn't that the case? Weren't, weren't there just some details released? Uh, anyway, so yeah, so there's a CNC four in the works. I don't really know what their angle is, but I'm worried that they think they did the right thing with Red, Red Alert three, which. I thought it was a misfire on many different levels. Uh, well, the so guy, I would say that franchise is in trouble. Because D-list celebrities give you hits. People want to talk to, you know, hot Cylon girl or whatever <laughs> it is. Uh, or Tim Curry. Or t- I would love to talk to Tim Curry. Tony Award nominated Tim Curry. Um <laughs> Uh, and yes, yeah, so where where is there any word, Troy, about where the Total War franchise is going? No, I mean there aren't very many periods of history left to cover. Um, I suspect <laughs> we, I, I suspect oh, come we're, on. we're going to be getting an expansion. Up with a thousand of them. I'm pretty sure we'll be getting an expansion. The war wars. <laughs> There'll be a Napoleonic expansion. I expect. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty obvious. I mean, it's not official, but I mean, that's the only place to go with it. Um, but. The fan response to uh, Total War has been quite tepid. Um, a few communities, really loyal communities, accepted, and you know my voice, you know, kind of. I wasn't a voice in the wilderness when I wrote my review, but I kind of am now. I haven't had a reader take me to task, send me an email, an angry email <laughs> about my review. Um, I'll send you one, Troy, just so you don't feel forgotten. Let me I, I'll draft one for you in a little bit. No, I, I wasn't forgotten. I got I got the email and I you know I answered it because. That's how I was raised. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't mean but, to, to derail, but but to some extent, does it really matter? I mean, do we, do we really have that much love and affection for the specific like intellectual property franchise, or are we much more concerned about the developers and the styles of games they make? I'm much more concerned about sort of what's in store for the relic style game, or what Chris Taylor's going to put his name on next. Than I am about whether or not there's going to be a you know, company of heroes two. A company of heroes two. I'm I'm I just I almost don't really care about whether or not it's part of the franchise. I care much more about the people and the style of game that it's being modeled on. Uh, that's okay, we can do a, a podcast on developers and then we can bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> this is about okay, but, but, but also the, 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 <laughs> that's not the, the that's not the industry we're in. I mean, this is an industry that is, for better or worse, driven by franchises. So occasionally they'll get one really nice original series, and then it becomes a franchise um, and gets milked to death like Guitar Hero. <laughs> or sad guitar hero. Um, it'd be nice to have you know all the nice stuff, um, and just hope that you know great designs come out. But I mean, we hey, we love Civ and we love Sid, but I mean, come on, Firaxis. I mean, what's the last really original thing? Uh, I guess you could say Civilization Revolutions, but 
Well, I mean, I guess in that sense, we'd have to be talking about Supreme Commander 2 and Dungeon Siege 3, right? I mean, that's that's really what we'd be talking about there. And that's where we're at. And to answer you, Julian, I think I think people do care. There there are people who care about Total War as a franchise. You know, what's the next Total War game going to be? Yeah. And I think their mistake uh, as far as addressing franchise health, they have done absolutely nothing. As a matter of fact, they've gone the opposite direction to bring in new players, I think. Uh, as far as their, as far as the way they're making their games, I think they are, they're catering to fans, which is a, a but, great but way to that, not only that, kill a franchise, but to kill a genre. In isn't a that, a, isn't that almost mandatory when you put a number at the end of a game? I mean, isn't that the problem? Well, like with you were talking about, like we were talking world? like we were talking about Julian with, with Magic and Dawn of War 2 and Civilization Revolutions. Uh, there are ways you can, that's an important way of keeping a franchise healthy is sort of occasionally taking stock of, am I, should I appeal to a newer audience? Should I do something to bring new people in? And I don't see the Total War guys doing anything in that regard well, except making their that. little, their yeah. little Viking fighting game and their, their Stormrise thing. And, uh, you know, they're splitting off in terrible, weird, unfitting directions, uh, I think. Unseemly directions. Always subcontracted to the B studio. Oh, is there like a is there like a subclass? Oh, is that the Australian? That's the Australian group. Yeah. Oh, poor guys. Oh. They had to do with the Spartan Total Warrior and. Uh, Storm yeah, Rock. so I would agree with you, Troy. That I think Total War. That's an example of a, of a troubled franchise. Uh, Magic. I, know, I think Julian, I think you must was, be. Well, I mean, I think that Magic is one of those things that goes in waves. I think that. Uh, you know, there is a giant problem of getting people hooked into that game. And I think that the, you know, the, the, the physical outlets for magic, I think actually are disappearing. I mean, I think that the big game stores and in, in college towns and the big card stores, and the big comic stores, I don't see many new ones of those opening up. And I do see lots of them closing anytime I'm in a new city. I mean, I'm always depressed when I go to a city and, and try to go revisit some old haunt and find out it's closed. And so those, I think things like magic have to move online and the current magic online experience is so abysmal that I think they're still in a lot of trouble. I think this is a great reboot, but you know, in the interview I did last night, um, for Gamer for the Jobs, I mean, the guy was basically even said flat out, look, we understand the migration path off of, you know, our, our first one's free heroin shot we're delivering to XBLA to the real game is not good. Right there's it's not like you can leap out of the XBLA game and just jump right into Magic Online. It's not there. And so I But think you don't feel that it's an example of a of a troubled franchise. I mean, no, no, I'm I'm saying I do think it's in trouble because I think there's ah. a huge gap there, right? I think the difference with something like Civ Revolution is that if you play Civ Revolution and you play ten hours of that on your Xbox, you're in pretty good shape to jump into Civ four. Mm-hmm. Right? I think you really are. Uh, what about uh, what do you guys feel about? Because I think they intend this to be a franchise. Uh, the state of demigod, did they shoot themselves in the foot? Oh dear! I think it's really. I mean, the, the sales are holding up, which is good uh, for them. It's astounding, is what it is. I mean, I can't believe it, given the problems that game. I mean, it's the problem that maybe this is a case where the fact that it's a really awesome game wins out over everything else, and also the really big discounts. <laughs> They were 50 percent to anybody who knows anybody. Yeah. And Brad's whole uh, like what Brad Wardell at Stardock has said about uh, Demigod is, 
look, we budgeted for post-release support and content. You know, we're releasing this game. We're just getting started. Uh, unfortunately, all of that has been damage control uh, since it's come out. But, you know, they, they clearly want to ride this idea of we're going to keep a franchise alive by adding new stuff to it uh, instead of waiting until there's a sequel. When is the um, first dem- new Demigod pack coming out? Yeah, that's right. We're owed two new Demigods. Yeah, they, I don't think they've said anything. They're too busy. They were fixing the network, you know, whatnot. There is actually, uh, I think it's due soon, a patch that's going to finally add some some interface tweaks that I think uh, it's really been in need of. Um, and I think Brad posted on a blog somewhere that that's sort of impending. Uh, is that the one that adds random demigods, or is yep, that in the late- exactly? Yeah, which I think is going to be great. We might I, we might actually want to play it again. And why haven't they done that up to now is a thing that I wonder about. Like, ugh, just, such minor little tweaks that I think the game really needed and have just been ignored uh, since it's come out. Um, but I mean, I hope I hope it's healthy. I, I I've really become fond of Demigod um, yeah. as a title, and I hope it's a huge success, makes a lot of money for both gas-powered games and uh, Stardock. Um, well, I mean, it just just for for what it's worth, I mean, you know, we just asked the question. So Brad put out a blog post today saying his goal is a new map every sixty days and a new demigod every sixty days going forward. Oh, good. Good. So okay. every, for how, every 60 days for how long? In right. perpetuity. <laughs> Until you die, Troy. You're going to have thousands of de- demigods to play. Oh, so here's one, Troy. I know you're with me on this. How about that Majesty franchise? Oh, God. <laughs> have you have you played Majesty 2? Uh, I looked at a very early build and was like, okay, well, they, they're trying to do Majesty. We'll see. Uh, yeah. I have not looked at the latest build, so uh, I, I don't want to be mean, but I don't have a lot of confidence. I was well, scared. I mean, if we're going to talk about that, the game that we're starting up right now, Dominions 3, where's Dominions 4? Hmm. If Bruce was here, he could tell us. Yeah, I'm sure he could. Can we look at uh, Paradox Games as a franchise? Because I always think of the stuff, you, you know, it's like, what's Johan working on? Is it one franchise or is it multiple franchises? Right, exactly. And and I kind of think of it as one in a way. Yeah. I mean, even though the, it, it jumps historical periods and even sort of gameplay models, I mean, there's still that basic, you know, Paradox... I guess they are kind of their own gameplay model, aren't they, Troy? Yeah. They, well, really this is the point know. I was trying to make about something like Big Huge Games and Rise of Nations versus Age of Empires 3. It's they're their own, they're their own masters. They do no one else does any people have tried to do stuff like them and just fail and failed. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's hard. And they hell, they don't always succeed, uh, for that matter. Though I am looking forward to Hearts of Iron three and I hope we can devote a show to that uh when it comes out. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I know that Julian hates talking about World War Two, but Julian, get with the program. It's, it's too soon. It's too soon. The it's w- the new hotness, Julian. The wounds are too close. It's the new shit. Um, <laughs> hey, what are you doing plugging Dragon Age on a strategy Age. gaming pod? You totally plugged Dragon Age. I that's did. their tag. That's their catchphrase. It is. God, <laughs> that's so sad. <laughs> I'm sorry. That presentation at E3 almost made me cry. I know, I know. Um, but I still want to love the game. I'm still, I still have such high hopes. Yeah, well, we're a buyer, we're a family, so we don't have much choice. <laughs> they, they, they like officiate your wedding. Yes, in fact. <laughs> 
<laughs> and my wife is, is a Stilson hack with the female romance options. Um, so we have um, anything else to say? We've said it all. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you know what the awesome thing, Troy, is that I'm sure someone is going to post in the comment section, hey, you guys forgot A, B, and C, and I'm going to feel like do. a total dork because I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, duh, why didn't we think of that? Yeah, I hope they do. Uh, fill the comment section at flashofsteel.com or in the inevitable post-podcast thread on quarter3.com. Uh, As Julian mentioned, we are beginning a new uh Tom versus Bruce versus Troy versus Julian, Troy and Julian in small print uh, game. We are going to be playing Dominions 3, which has been suggested by many emails, and we decided to do that. Uh, I think independent Bruce suggested it, even though he hasn't read any of your emails, but I have. We'll be playing Dominions 3 over the next uh, month or so. Month? That's optimistic. <laughs> Depending on how the turn well, or so. two, three. The next six weeks, at least. And... Well, we'll see how, how quickly the turns can get turned around. So we'll Actually, be, what we'll do, Troy, is we'll see how quickly Bruce beats all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how many turns does it take? I give him. 15. Hey, you guys. Hey, hey, hey! I have an idea. While Bruce isn't here, we should all make a truce, not to fight each Ooh. other. Hey, Shh, don't, don't beat up on Bruce. Exactly. Everybody attack Bruce. Okay, sorry, we can go back to the... Yeah. We'll edit that out, of course. Uh, naturally. <laughs> we weren't saying anything suspicious. Uh, so, over the next few weeks, we'll be updating you uh, through this podcast on how the game is going, uh, observations and the like, without giving away all of our secret plans. Uh, not that my plans will be too secret, because I've been practicing, and I've remembered how much I do not know about playing Dominions. I'm really bad at this. I I've learned I how to play one race well enough that I feel like I could I could defeat the easiest possible AI. That's that's where I'm at. Have the funny thing is, is playing a race into the early game is completely different than playing it in the sort of mid uh, turns of a game than the end game. I mean, once you've like once you're confronted with the upper level spells and making magic items, and Dominion Three is a game that can run away from you very quickly when you're first jumping into it. And I think uh, you, those of you in the podcast audience will be hearing three instances of that in future broadcasts. <laughs> are you are you are you suggesting my demise ahead of time? Is that what you're doing? Uh, as well as mine, as, as well as Troy's. Yeah, exactly. It's going to get ugly. Yes. <laughs> so for it's all of you, start ugly, and it's going to get uglier. So for all of you computer gaming world fans who wanted Bruce to be Tom. This will be your opportunity to listen to it almost live. And then when it's concluded, uh, we'll see what we can scare up in the way of uh, prizes and honorifics and medals uh, for Bruce. And we might even have special uh, guests. We might uh, be able to, to get some guests. We'll see who's Maybe available of, when they're available. Yeah. See who's yeah, we. What is it with us and Swedes? So these are like two more Swedes. That'll be three Swedes and a Finn. Swedes are awesome. We have not had any. Can I, I was yet. Yeah, I was quite fond of the Finn as well. The guy making uh, East India Company. Hey, oh, what, the serendipity! I am wearing my East India Company T-shirt with the crossed and flintlocks, saying "Fight, Manage, Rule." Three things I love to do. I didn't even plan that. Look at this on the podcast. Can you guys see it? That's great radio right there. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just can't wear that shirt. Is it too cool for you, Troy? 
Nobody <laughs> ever just, sends me shirts. I'm just not styling enough for that. <laughs> uh, so next week, we don't have a topic yet. Uh, we'll think of something clever. Um, we have other topics coming up in the... Uh, some You have some shows planned for the future, but waiting for things to come out. So this isn't all ad hoc and made up. So say goodnight, everyone. Good night, everyone. Who wants to uh, beatbox here? Boom, <laughs> boom.